It's good to see you this morning. If you're a guest with us here this morning, it's a joy to have you. I've met uh, just a a few of you today, and so we're glad that you're here and joining us. Uh, We've been going through a series since the turn of the new year uh, through the book of Acts, and today we find ourselves in chapter 2, and we continue to walk through this great book that speaks of the history of the church and the great and beautiful work of God in these days and the work that he's continuing uh, that we are so blessed to be a part of uh, here at the Ridge. And today I, I want to simply um, draw your attention to the fact that, that you and I were created in such a way by God to be captivated by things. Now when I say things, that could be a many different things, but, but you and I were so wired in our hearts, in our minds, to be captivated. And, and so this afternoon, about five o'clock our time, there's going to be a lot of people captivated, right, by a game that's going to be going on, right, the Super Bowl. Some are going to be more captivated by wings and chips and guacamole and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, <laughs> but we're going to be captivated. Many millions will be captivated today across this globe at a football game. There are many men and one woman, I think, there may be another woman, I, I forget, uh, that are hoping you will be captivated by them this time of year, right, with the presidential election. Um, we'll just, we'll talk about this just for a second and back out of it, okay? Uh, But, and they've gathered, many of them, endorsements, right, to endorse them so that you would be so captivated by them that come election time, you would place your vote for them. You and I were made to be captivated, captivated by the beauty of creation, the beauty of God as we see it. We've been given eyes to behold true beauty, to be captivated. And this morning, I want us to see in this text what the ultimate, greatest thing that you and I should be captivated with. I mean, you and I ultimately were created, our hearts and eyes were created to be captivated by this one, by this one that we see in this text today. And so today, as we look at this text, I want us to just simply ask that, what is your heart most captivated by? I pray at the end of the day you would say that my heart is most captivated by Jesus Christ because that's the goal of this text. And God is going to use the endorsements of the work of Christ to to put Christ um, and show him as our greatest need, as the one who our hearts would so long for and love and desire to have as truly the Lord and ruler of our lives. And to do that, we're going we're gonna to roll through some, some text this morning. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of ground, but we're going to do it quickly. And I'm going to do that by asking really three questions. Uh, two of the questions are asked for us already. The se- second one, the middle question, I'm going to imply that being asked so that we can understand who, who Christ is. Because but, but I, I think the text answers it. It doesn't necessarily ask it, but we're going to ask it anyway. And so I'll, I'll show you what I mean by that. 
the first question is, what does this mean, right? And, and it's in verse uh, 12, and, and I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. The second question is, is, who is the Lord who saves? Who is the Lord who saves? It's answered here, and we'll see the answer. And then thirdly, what do we do? What do we do? So what does this mean? Who is the Lord who saves? And what do we do? Those are the questions that kind of outline our path this morning. And so if you're new with us this morning, you might be saying, okay, I, I just heard this read. I just read it here in Acts chapter 2. But, but what's going on is God has set apart, um, at this point, 12 men called apostles. They have gathered in Jerusalem in the upper room because Jesus told them to. And while there, they have others that have joined them, a total, we're told, of 120 people. Jesus was with them. He, he died. He rose again. But he ascended into heaven. And here on this day called Pentecost, which is a celebration of the Jews, you have many people gathered all over the place from 20 miles away and shorter that have come to Jerusalem to celebrate this great celebration that we see all the way back in the book of Exodus. They're coming to remember the, the work of God by bringing their wheat as their first fruits. And, and so that they're Jews of many different backgrounds, even Gentiles who converted to Judaism. They're in the city. And on this day in Acts chapter 2, with wind and fire, the Holy Spirit comes to the 120 that are there. And the Holy Spirit, which is uh, the, uh, part of the Trinity, we believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and begins to indwell and reside literally in those 120 who believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. And the Holy Spirit empowers them, we read in Acts chapter 2 um, in verse 6, to be a witness of Jesus, but they're doing it in many different languages. And, and here's the, the cool thing. They didn't go take like Rosetta Stone or anything like that. The Holy Spirit, just like that, allowed them to begin communicating the beauty of God in Christ um, to all the people there in the temple courts in Jerusalem. And so the sound of witness of these people are being heard and it's blowing the people away. So much they're like, are these people drunk? Right? They ask that, right? Are these people, it's in your Bible, they ask that. Um, and so what we find today is here's one of the apostles. His name is Peter. Now, interesting lad because Peter, Eric, I use lad. Um, Peter uh, was one of the guys before Jesus died that we see denying Christ. I mean, the disciples, right, they, they kind of bail on Jesus in his, in his lowest and toughest and hardest moment. And Peter most visibly did that. He denied Christ publicly three times. But here's Peter. You remember after Jesus rose from the grave, Peter said three times that he loves Christ. He loves Christ. He loves Christ. A beautiful picture of the mercy and the grace of God. One minute we can deny him. The next minute we can love him. And that's only because of Jesus' work on the cross. And so Peter takes his stand on this day as one who's been filled by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to answer these questions. What does this mean? What does this mean that what we hear of the witness of these 120 speaking about the kingdom of God in these multiple languages? What does this mean? 
Well, here's the first thing. It doesn't mean, according to Peter, that they're intoxicated with wine. All right? Look at verse 14 and 15. Listen to what he says. Peter, taking his stand, raised his voice, declared to them, men of Judah, all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give heed to my word, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. The third hour of the day would have been 9 a.m., all right? Uh, Jewish tradition was in the morning you would eat bread, okay? You can go back to Exodus and kind of see how this would roll, but, but you would eat bread. And then about five o'clock, the evening time, if you were going to eat meat, that's when that would happen, around dinner time. And what would you sometimes uh, eat with your meat, or you would drink with your meat, is you would drink wine. And so that's when wine would usually be drunk, not at 9 a.m. in the morning with your bread, okay? It, it just traditionally, that's, that wasn't the case. So Peter's argument here is, hey, listen, it's 9 a.m. in the morning. That doesn't roll with, with traditionally what we do when we eat. And he's saying, so there's no way that these men could be intoxicated on, on wine. And so he says, this is what is not happening, but, but let me tell you what is Happening. And so look at verse 16. To do this, he's going to bring in some power hitters, right? He's going to bring in Joel. And so Joel in verse 16, it says, but this is what is spoken of through the prophet Joel. And so to answer, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is coming and filling up these believers to communicate in these multiple languages about the kingdom of God? What does it mean? He answers. And this is huge, guys. This is huge. This is big time. All right, listen to what he says. And it shall be in the last days that God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. So Peter is saying what Joel said hundreds of years ago. He predicted this and Peter is saying it's here. It's here. Now, I don't know your background with, with Old Testament theology and then bringing it into the New Testament and, and, and kind of understanding what's being fulfilled, what's not being fulfilled. And, and so some believe that um, what, what Peter's saying here, that it's not necessarily fulfilling Joel's prophecy. Some believe that. Some is saying that uh, it's a partial fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. I'll just tell you where I land on this is I think it's a full fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, and we're going to see in just a bit how that is. Um, and so what Peter is saying here is what you're seeing is what Joel talked about, that these men and women are being filled with the Spirit of God that Joel said would come and be poured forth on all mankind. Now, does that mean that all of humanity is going to have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them? No, that's not what it means. But it means that all types of mankind, different types, different backgrounds, from different nations, not just the Jews, this isn't just for the Jews, but all different nations will, can experience, that's God's desire, salvation through Jesus Christ, and therefore be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that's what's happening here. What Joel talked about, the Holy Spirit has come and now indwells, God indwelling mankind. That's what's happening. Joel prophesied it. Here it is. Here it is. 
And so who does it happen to? Well, look at the different types of people. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, bond slaves, even men and even women. And so who's the spirit of God for? Well, all different types, all different backgrounds. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the church, of what God is doing. It's not for a certain elite group or, or this special group over here. It is for all of mankind. That's what the good news of Jesus Christ is for. And the filling of the Holy Spirit is for. Isn't that a great picture, young and old? And I, and I see it here, right, this morning. I see it here. I see it here. I was on the campus of, of Coram Deo uh, this past weekend up in um, uh, Plano, and I, would, I just, I love students. Um, I love all kids, but I love students. I love middle school and I love high school. I know it's crazy to say, a, little, a lot of people think it's crazy to, to love middle school students, right? Right? I love middle school students, man, because middle school students are like sponges. And if you can captivate them when they're in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, watch out world. Watch out world. If you can captivate them with the gospel, watch out. But I got to speak to the high school students at Coram Deo, and, and I love the representative uh, of students that we have there. And it was cool seeing with the likes of, of Jordan Vandeveer leading in worship and, and, and all the other students there, like uh, Grace and George Garland, Tim Ingman, um, Jordan Vandeveer ever said, Catherine Crow. Who, do, who did I miss? Like everybody, props to everybody. Tim Ingman, oh, I know, Tim, Tim, Tim Ingman, of course, yeah. And so it was so good to see them. And just to see the young passionate and living for Christ. And then you see here on Sunday, mixed in with, with the old too, right? Right? So it's getting up there, all right? And so, but you see that, and I love that. And that's what God does. He brings us unified by the, the same spirit, unifies young and old, men and women, all different types and backgrounds to be who? The church. And to do ministry together. And that's what God had in mind. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, prophesying, seeing visions and dreams. You read that, and I think some of us maybe go to a place we shouldn't, right? This isn't like weird kind of, ooh, visions and dreams. I think real simply, when he says visions and dreams, think about visions. What, if you're seeing a vision, you're seeing something. If you're dreaming, you're, you're visualizing something, you're picturing something. I, I think what he's saying here is that young and old, all different types, are gonna see the beauty and the greatness of God. And what are they gonna do with it? They're gonna prophesy. What's prophesy? Simply put, I know some of us have a, have a different maybe understanding of what this means, but prophesy is simply this, verbalizing the excellencies of God. Simply put. You can call what I'm doing this morning prophesying. I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's declaring the truth of God. God. And so what he's saying here is young and old, all different types of background, they're going to see the beauty of Christ and they're going to communicate. And Peter says, that's what's happening on this day. That's what the Spirit of God is doing on the day of Pentecost. And what does Peter call these days? Look it back up at verse 17. He says, these are the last days. These are the last days. What begins with the coming of the Holy Spirit is the last days. What does that mean? We're in the last days. We're in the last days. And what's gonna happen in the last days is this powerful witness, and that's why you and I are here this morning, 
is because of the powerful witness of God by the Holy Spirit empowered believers to communicate the gospel so that you would come to call on the name of the Lord. That's why we're here this morning. Now, look at verses um, 19 and 20 here. Listen to what he says. He says, And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor, smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Let me take that last part, the great and glorious day that the Lord shall come. So you have last days begins the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then you have this great, glorious day that the Lord should come. So you have for us kind of this timeline here with two things. Last days, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is coming back. Where are we? In here. And we are waiting for Jesus to come. Now, how does Peter say Joel explains last days? He uses imagery, right? With smoke, fire, um, other things like uh, d- the, the sun will be turned into darkness. What is that imagery explaining? I think real simply, my, my view on this is real simply that he's explaining darkness. He's explaining calamities. We see it in our day. We see calamity all over the place from earthquake this week to tornadoes that struck the day after Christmas. And we see natural calamities. We see all that. We we see um, the revelation of of the wrath of God from heaven with uh, the hearts of men and women growing cold toward God and, and toward truth. We see that in our day. We see lawlessness increasing. And so this imagery right here is a picture of the darkness of, because of sin in our last days. But don't forget what he shared before that. Because mixed in a dark world full of calamities is the powerful witness of spirit-filled people. Witnessing of God and his son Jesus. And that will happen until Jesus returns, and that's what we're waiting for. And the hope and the desire is found in verse 21. It says, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the witness of the church. That's the witness of the young and the old. They're filled with the Spirit of God to do what? To testify of the Lord who saves. And in these last days, that's what's happening. People calling on the name of the Lord. We see it in the first century. We we see it even happening today. Now, the second question is, who is the Lord who saves? Who is the Lord who saves? Well, real simply, verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. And let me stop there for a second. The Lord who saves is Jesus, real simply. It's Jesus. In fact, in John 15, an interesting passage. Let me read it for you. Jesus said this when he was here on earth. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, listen to what the spirit will do. He will testify about me. And then he says to his disciples, and you also will testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. So what's happening here on this day? Peter is testifying about Jesus How is he doing that? He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the very thing that Jesus said would happen is happening. 
And so what are they testifying to, the disciples? What is Peter testifying to? That Jesus is the Lord who saves. That's where we find salvation. Now there's four things here I want us just to see real quick that God uses to endorse Jesus as Lord, as the one that we should call on. The first thing he says, I just read in verse 22, are the miracles of Christ. Christ, when he was here on earth, did all these miracles, and they're God's endorsement that he is God, that he is God. The second endorsement is found in verse 23. It says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. The second endorsement is the death of Jesus Christ. Now, the death of Jesus Christ, two things here. The first thing is, it's the predetermined plan of God, meaning it was God's eternal plan to put Jesus to death for you and I. We see that all the way back in Genesis 3. It's called the Evangelion. It's, it's the gospel that we see even back in the midst right after the fall. That it was God's plan from the beginning to crucify his son for you and I. Not only was it God's sovereign plan, but, but, but what do we find out here? Look at verse 23 again. It says, you nailed him to a cross. And you think about that. You're in the crowd that day and you hear, you nailed him to a cross. I mean, that, that will hit you. But in that crowd that day were at least 3,000, if not more, people. And so were all thousands of them at the cross when Jesus died? No, no. Now, there might be some in the crowd, some soldiers or whatever, that maybe was, was physically present and part of that. But what does this mean? It means that the sin of all those present this day and all those present here today of all of us put Jesus on the cross. And so we're all responsible for the death of the king of glory. All of us. From the crowd to the first century and everyone in between and everyone before and everyone who will come after are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ because of our sin. And that was God's predetermined plan that he would put them there, him there, so that you and I could have our sin forgiven. So second endorsement is his death. Now the third, a little long section here, but just listen, hang on with me for a second. The third is his resurrection. And listen to what he says in verse 24. He says, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. I love that phrase, the agony of death. It refers to birth pains. We see it in Romans 8. And here's what the death of Jesus did. The death of Jesus, him raising again, what did he conquer? He conquered death. And so death reigns no more. Okay, is it still present? You betcha. Does it still happen? You betcha. But what he is saying is now there is victory in death for those who know Jesus Christ. Death doesn't have to say, have the last word. But by the death of Jesus, Jesus put death to death. And for those who call on the name of the Lord, they're united with Jesus in his resurrection, and they too are no longer held by the power of death. Even though they might die physically, they will live forever with Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the resurrection. And it says here that it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's power. That's a kind of God you want, right? And then he says in verse 25, for David says of him. So here's the deal. He brings in Joel, 
He says, let Joel kind of communicate what's going on. Then he brings in David, and listen to what David says. He says, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Now listen to everything that Peter says that David said. I have this hope. I'm exulting with my tongues. The, the, um, I'm happy in my heart. I'm glad because I will be sustained. I won't be shaken. Why? Because God is with me. Now, why can David say that God is with me? Look at verse 27 at the end. Nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Who's that talking about? Hundreds of years ago, who is David referring to? Jesus you will not allow your Holy One, the Messiah, to undergo decay. He will live forever. Why? Because the Messiah is God. He is Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 28, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That's the experience that those who are united by faith to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can stand with David and say, yes, I know that gladness. Because I know that I will not be abandoned by my God to hell, but I will live with him forever. And then he says in verse 29, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died, was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So what, what the writer is saying, Peter is saying, hey, when David was talking about this one, the Holy One, who would not under, undergo decay, he wasn't talking about himself. David wasn't talking about himself, but he was talking about Jesus. And so look at verse 30. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath that to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. And so this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses to. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying, hey, what you see on this day is because of Jesus. Because he has gone to the cross. He has conquered the grave in his resurrection. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out and sent forth that Joel talked about because of Christ. And that's the only way that we can experience knowing God, have a relationship with him, and have our life changed. is through Jesus. And the fourth endorsement, look what he says in verse 34. He says, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, we've talked about this verse um, a few times here, and that simply means, if you were to say, well, help me out, because this is a, a, another prophetic word by David, way back in Psalm 110, and so help us out a little bit. What, what does it mean, the Lord said to my Lord? Well, real simply, the first Lord is the Father, God the Father, said to my Lord, who was David's Lord? According to this, it was Jesus, the Messiah. And so the Father said to Jesus, if you want to transliterate it literally, that's what it means. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What is this referring to? It's referring to the exaltation and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's the fourth endorsement, the ascension. 
That's God's endorsement of Jesus Christ. He ascends him to the right hand of God where Jesus, even now as we sit here this morning, is at the right hand of God. Now that's not of location, that's of position. Meaning this, that Jesus is king over all. And you might look today and you might say, he is? How is that? Jesus is reigning here on earth now through his church. And through the witness of his church, through their love, they are the light of the world. Through their good deeds that they do because they've been saved by grace through faith, they are showing and putting on display the glory of God because Christ reigns even now. And that's how God is reigning today here on earth. It's through his church. And one day he's gonna return again and the full consummation of his kingdom will, will be here. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. All that does not have to do with Jesus will be put away. All who reject him will be put away forever. But all who know him will live with him forever in his kingdom. But that just isn't later stuff. The kingdom of God is now. And it reigns through the heart's of those who are called the church, who know him, who have the spirit living in him, in them. And so the fourth endorsement is the ascension of Christ. And then he says in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom, again, he says, you crucified. Now, could you imagine sitting in the crowd that day and you hear this? It's been a, it's been a, Whale of a day because you have just seen this amazing thing happen. All these people speaking in different languages about the kingdom of God. You're blown away by that. And then you hear this most amazing sermon by Peter on this day explaining what had happened. And he's saying, have your hearts captivated by Jesus. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. And here's what he's done for you. And then look what happens in verse 37. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart literally wounded in their conscience, convicted. And isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? He comes and he convicts according to the truth of God and testifies about Jesus as our only hope. And so as a result of this, the third and final question, and this will close us today, listen to what they ask. In verse 37, brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? If you're here today and you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've asked that question, haven't you? Right? When you hear the gospel, when you hear about the beauty of Jesus Christ and your heart begins to be captivated, you ask the question, what do I do? What do I do? And so here's what Peter says and here's what some in here have done. Peter says, repent, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is Peter saying? What, what, do, what do we do? The first thing, repent. I understood repentance clearly. What it is even though I experienced it, but I, but I really experienced it vividly in 1995 in April um, in a dorm room at Marshall University. I was struggling through life, um, 
a Christian, but just struggling with walking and, and, and the spirit and all that kind of stuff. And I remember waking up one morning and the Lord just coming there in my dorm room, not physically, but, but very much seemed like a Paul-like experience and, and just coming and he changed my mind. And I, and I wish to this day there's some way you could record that, right? You could put that on recording. And, but, because it's so vividly in my mind, I, I knew that that day something changed in my thinking. And that's where repentance begins. It's, it's, a, it's a change of thinking. It's a change of mind where you go thinking this way and you start thinking another way. And, and, and the idea here is you, you reject God because many in this crowd are. And the idea of repentance is instead of rejecting God, now you're for him. You go from rejecting Jesus to now I'm for him. And so on this day, that's what Peter is saying is, is no longer reject Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior, but now receive him, accept him before him as Savior and Lord. And then he says, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. This word baptism right here, the emphasis here is be united with Jesus. And how do we be united with Jesus? It's by faith. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And so, so this isn't necessarily this, this physical action of baptism, but the point is that you and I would be united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection by faith for the forgiveness of sins. And see, guys, as we sung this morning about rescue, I just started thinking Jesus is our rescue. Jesus is our rescue because there is no other way to be forgiven of our sins. He is our rescue. Our sins have put us, not merely drowning and treading on water, but our sins have put us at the bottom of the sea, dead, dead. And so the lifesavers being thrown out and even the rescue boat coming to help rescue us, that doesn't work. And those things can represent all the other religions in the world and all the good works that somebody may have. And those things won't rescue and forgive us of sins. But only Jesus is the one, as we sung earlier, who goes down to the depths of the sea, who gets us and gives us a new heart, gives us life, and forgives us of our sins so that we can live. That's what he does, and that's what Peter is saying. And he says, not only that will you be forgiven, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, just as you have seen this day, empowering these witnesses, can now come and dwell and live in you. And you are a child of God. And so hear this today, because this is what Peter wanted people to hear back then, and God wants us to hear it today. In verse 39, we'll, we're done with this. He says, the promise is for you. Can you hear that personally today? The promise. The promise, I think real simply in this text, the promise goes back to verse 33 where he says, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so this promise that, that God will come and not only just be near and among, but he will dwell with men in their hearts and give them a new heart and save them. That promise, guys, hear this today, is for you and your children. For the young and the old, for the women and the women of all different types and backgrounds and walks of life, it's for you. 
It is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And so let me ask you today, are you captivated by Jesus? This crowd was, they were pierced to the heart. And on this day, thousands, thousands repent. They turn from the way they were living before, the way they were thinking before, and they turn by faith and they trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And their lives are changed forever. What about you? What about you today? Have you repented? Have you turned from living for yourself or living for the ways of this world or, or living for maybe another set of religion beliefs? Have you turned from those things and have you turned and started trusting and following in Jesus? If you haven't today, the Bible real clearly says believe, repent as we hear today. Repent and believe. Confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. And so answer the call of God today. Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Trust him. Will you bow your heads with me today?